So I heard of an example where four, or four pastors were meeting together, and they were just confessing some things to one another. One of them said, guys, I, I've really been struggling with watching some movies I shouldn't be watching, you know, some of these PG-13 R-rated movies that I, I probably shouldn't be watching. And then another pastor said, well, you know, I'm really struggling with gambling. I, I, I sometimes visit casinos, and I really like the slot machines, and that's, that's one of my weaknesses and my struggles. Uh, another one said, well, you know, I, I really struggle with smoking cigars and occasionally some cigarettes. I do it where, where nobody really sees me doing it, but I really struggle with having a cigarette at times. And the fourth one, he said, you know, I, I struggle with gossip and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> Words, they have a tremendous impact. And that's what we're going to look at today in James chapter 3. As we're going through this great letter in the New Testament, James, every chapter in James either directly or indirectly talks about the tongue. James is the, the practical book of wisdom for the New Testament. Proverbs is the practical book of wisdom for the Old Testament. And in the book of Proverbs, there are 60 warnings about the tongue and how dangerous it can be. And of course, James, every chapter, it talks about how dangerous the tongue is. Before we look at chapter 3, I want to remind you that there's a good outline of the book of James. And it's found in James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where James gives us three test cases on how to prove that we are indeed genuine Christians. What does it look like for a Christian to live a life of obedience? And James gives us three areas as Christians to really focus in on throughout our Christian living and our life. He said, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What James was saying here in the first chapter is, is there's three areas that we as believers need to focus on as far as how to live a life of obedience for Christ. One area is to watch what we say, to guard our tongue, and that's chapter 3. Another area is to care for the needy and those who are poor and our neighbors. We talked about that in chapter 2. And the third area we got to focus on that James 1 describes that gives us a good outline of the text or of the whole letter is that we are to be mindful and watchful of the world and not to be tempted by worldliness and the things of this world. And so starting next week and finishing out the summer and finishing out this letter, we're going to really emphasize of how the importance of resisting the worldly influences uh, that, uh, that are at play every single day. And so today we're going to focus in on that one big area, and that is the tongue. So look with me now in James chapter 3, beginning with verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. 
How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. James gives us, in these 12 verses, he gives us two warnings. He warns first, teachers, and then he warns second, believers, all of us believers. In verses 1 and 2, he starts by giving a warning, a firm, stern warning to teachers. And in verse 1 and 2, again, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James starts out by warning teachers, and he basically says, not everyone should aspire to be a teacher. Not everyone should want to be a teacher. Why is that? Because he said here, they will be judged with greater strictness. You see, being a teacher of God's word, it it takes great responsibility. Why is that? Well, I want to remind you that this is called the Holy Bible, the Holy Bible. It's holy, meaning it's sacred. It's sacred scripture. These are the words from God. And so we need to handle it with care. We must handle it delicately and very gently. As I think about handling it with care, I think about if you've ever moved. I think all of us, if not most of us, have moved before. And when you move, what do you do? You, you package everything in boxes. And when you get to the china and the, the delicate things, what do you do? You pack it gently in a box, and then you put fragile over it so that the movers who move it know, they know to handle that box especially carefully. In the same way, we are to handle God's word with great care because it is sacred. It is holy. And that's why not everyone is called to be a teacher because there's great responsibility in teaching God's word as we are judged with strictness. We have higher standards as teachers. And so it takes a lot of work to teach and to preach God's word. Now, I have heard pastors over the years, and it always makes me cringe a little bit, When they regularly, and notice I use the word regularly here, when they regularly say, hey, today, church family, uh, I'm going to go where the Spirit leads, and I'm going to call an audible, and I'm just going to take us into a direction where I feel like we need to go. Now, I'm not saying that it's, that is, that can be appropriate occasionally. It can be appropriate where a pastor may feel the Holy Spirit leading him in a different direction and, and, and taking Uh, taking you as a church in a different direction in which the Holy Spirit's leading. However, if a pastor says it regularly and often, you know what that tells me? He didn't do his homework. (laughs) 
<laughs> and he's saying, I'm just going to go where the spirit leads and we're going to turn the page here and we're going to talk about this. That's unwise. If you're going to preach God's word, if you're going to teach God's word, it takes work. It takes work. You know, I, I spend about 20 hours a week preparing messages like this. I call it a research paper, and that's really what it is. I'll, I'll cite commentaries. If you ever see my full manuscript, it's, it's, it's a research paper, and it, and it needs to be. I mean, I've been here 10 years, and you might hear some, some of the similar examples every now and then that I might bring. You might have said, I heard Seth give that example six years ago. But I hope, I hope every message will be something new for you because I'm learning something new. I'm reading something new. And I think it's important. It's important to do that. So if you are a Sunday school teacher teaching elementary age, if you're leading a women's Bible study, if you're leading a small group, if you're a preacher, if you're an elder of the church, you need to do your homework. There is a higher standard in which God has for you. And if you're a teacher and you're called to teach and you have the spiritual gifting of teaching uh, then remember this verse. Remember this verse. And that's why James really gives a warning to teachers to be very careful. The other thing he was talking about was in that day, there were rabbis, Jewish rabbis, that really used their platform to their advantage. And they were puffing themselves up. You know the word rabbi, it means my great one. And they walked around puffing themselves up as if they were the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they wanted everybody to know that they were teachers and they had authority. You may not know this, but in this day and age, if, if someone's parents and a rabbi were kidnapped and were taken captive by the same person, by the kidnapper, the first person that the kid would, would, would be to, to give a ransom to would be the rabbi. They would have to pay the kidnapper first to free the rabbi before their own parents. Why is that? Because in James' day, a rabbi was seen to have greater respect and honor and authority than mom and dad. Mom and dad would bring you into the physical world, but the rabbi was seen to bring you into the eternal spiritual world. And so it would lead to a lot of arrogance from the rabbis. That's why Jesus, he gave a firm warning to his disciples and, and to the crowd when he spoke in Matthew 23, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, and they love being called rabbi by others. Jesus said to his disciples, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. What a great warning that Jesus gave, and he knew the rabbis of the day were abusing their authority by saying, look at me, but they weren't practicing what they preached. That's why Jesus warned his disciples, don't call yourself the great one. There's only one great one, and it's me, Jesus. I'm the teacher, I'm the, I'm the rabbi, all of you are brothers on the same level. So again, keep that in mind, especially if you're teaching the word of God, that we have one true teacher, and it's Jesus. We're merely just the mouthpiece of what God has already given us. And if a preacher always just gets up there and he just takes a verse here and there out of context and he tells a lot of great stories, that's not a sermon. 
That's an inspirational speech. And there's a lot of inspirational speakers out there that claim to be preachers. I'm sorry, you're not a preacher if you're not preaching God's word. God gives us his word for a reason. I'm just a messenger. The teachers are just teachers. They're just messengers of God's word. And if you're not unpacking what God has said, then you're not preaching. I hate to say it that way, but it's true. And that's the reality. And so as we come before the Lord and we preach, we need to do so with deep reverence to God's word. John Knox, when he started Presbyterianism in Scotland, he had the first church that was Presbyterian in Scotland. Do you know what he did in his very first sermon? He couldn't barely get through his first sermon because he was crying uncontrollably. He was crying and weeping because he knew the gravity in which he had as he was preaching God's word. They had, to, they had to literally take him from the pulpit, sit him down, calm him down a little bit so he could get back and regain his composure to preach a message. That's the kind of respect that we as teachers and preachers need to have to the sacred, the holy Bible. It's holy. It's, it's God's word. It has ultimate authority. So James, again, gives warning to teachers because we all stumble in many ways, as he said, but he's primarily talking about the tongue and how All of us can stumble. And teachers, because we talk a lot, we are prone to error. And so before you get up and start teaching, you need to know what you're going to say. So be mindful of that. So again, the first warning is to teachers. The second warning James gives is the bulk of the text, and that is to believers. And I want to give you a report that I read this week, a report that said that on average, and this doesn't include all introverts in the room, but on average, we speak about 18,000 words a day. That's a lot of words. In a lifetime, it's about one-fifth of all of our life is used by us talking. And if you could write all of the words in a book for your life, you would, you would compile of 60 books with 800 pages per book. That's a lot of talking. And for those of you who are extroverts in the room, you're probably going to double that. Let's be honest. What's amazing about our tongue is that something so small can be so powerful. Something so small can be so powerful. Leonardo da Vinci, the great artist, he, he studied the human body because he painted the human body often. And he studied, he studied every little member of the body. And when he got to the tongue, he said, no member needs so great a number of muscles as the tongue. The tongue exceeds all the rest in the number of its movements. That's what da Vinci said about the tongue. Even though it's so small, it is so powerful. And James gives three illustrations to really make this point uh, come home or hit home. In verse 3, he first talks about how a a bit would be able to turn a large horse, a bit and a bridle. Uh, Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. I like what Kent Hughes said here about this. He said, Imagine a horse with 550 pounds placed on its back. It's not going to be impacted by that. It'll run and, and barely huff and puff. But then you put a little bit and a bridle in its mouth, and you have a 100-pound woman who rides this horse, and the woman is able to turn the horse like nothing to it. That is amazing that yet something so small can turn something so big In the same way, something so small in our mouths can turn our whole lives in a positive way or in a negative way. And that was the point that James was making about the the bit in the mouth of a horse. He goes on to give a second illustration. 
He said, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. For those of you who love boats and ships, you understand this. A small rudder can, can t- change a boat or a ship easily, very small. I was studying different naval aircrafts uh, this, uh, this, or, or, or different, um, different ships. I was looking at that this week. And the largest one currently is, uh, is, is, the U- is the USSR Gerald R. Ford. It operates 19 aircraft carriers. It is 1,106 feet long, and it can accommodate over 75 aircraft. Along, and it also, it also is $13 billion. It carries two nuclear reactors, and it has a flight deck that is nearly four acres in size. Could you imagine living on this or working on this? Four acres in size, just the flight deck. But yet when you go and you, and you look and, and you find out more about this, you can then see that one sailor is able to turn the rudder that is only one one-thousandth of its size. And the one sailor is operating it and is able to turn this massive ship just like that, a small rudder. Again, something so small can be so powerful. The third analogy that James gives is verse 5, or he continues on by talking about a, a forest fire led by a small spark in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You all remember the Gatlinburg fires, those of you who were here four or five years ago. What did we find out about those fires? We found out that it was started by some foolish people who struck a match or whatnot, and they just had a few small sparks, and all of a sudden it it sets ablaze. The The Gatlinburg fire set ablaze all of Gatlinburg or half of Gatlinburg. It was a lot. It was wild. It was crazy. Well, I think about the, uh, the time of the Miss O'Leary and her cow in the Chicago fire. You may have studied that in history in 1871 at 9 a.m. It, it was on a Sunday morning where Miss O'Leary's cow kicked over the lantern while it was being milked, and it started the great Chicago fire. It turned out that it destroyed 17,000 buildings before it was checked by gunpowder explosions on the south line of the fire. The fire lasted two days, and it cost 250 lives. But no, not many people know this, but that same day in which the Chicago fire happened, there was another great inferno that took place in the Midwest. On that same autumn day in the north woods of Wisconsin, there was a fire, that, 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 a big firestorm that, took, that, that broke out. And it destroyed billions of yards, and it lasted for one month, and it killed more people than the Chicago fire did. The same day. But how did that come about? One small spark that led to a great forest fire that lasted an entire month. Again, James is saying something so small can turn out something so big. The word small here in verse 5 is the word melos in Greek. It's where we get the word melody. Melody. And when you have good tune and good melody like Cole this morning, it sounds good. But you don't want me singing. It'd be a hot mess. James is saying here, as you speak, it needs to have a good melody to it. It doesn't need to be off tune. You need to be on tune. That's what the tongue will do. If you go off tune, it will destroy like fire destroys. Martin Luther said, the little bit of flesh between the jaws 
is a concealed and dangerous weapon. Something so small is dangerous. It's powerful. And that's the point James was getting at. The second thing that James mentions about the warning to people, he's saying here that something so small can be hard to control. It can be hard to contain. It can be hard to manage. Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets on fire the entire course of its life, set on fire by hell. Now think about that analogy, how, how the tongue is like fire. What does fire do? It destroys But not only does fire destroy, you can't get it back. Whatever it burns, you can't get it back. Whatever is said, you can't bring it back. So before you start talking about somebody, you might want to watch it. And you pay me to say hard things, and I'm going to say it right now. Some of us just need to bite our tongues. We just need to bite it. Zip it. Especially extroverts. There's a lot of extroverts in the room. Bite it. Bite that tongue. Don't be tempted. When you're tempted to talk about somebody, don't say it. Go talk about something else. As extroverts, that, that's not a problem for you. Just go talk about something else. Don't talk about someone. Talk about something. Again, it's so hard to control, just like a fire, and you can't get it back. And, and watch what you post online. We're about to enter another Dreadful political season. I love politics. I majored in it, but it's dreadful every time. And as we approach this presidential election, it's going to get messy. Watch what you post. And even though you say, I can delete what I post, people screenshot it. People even record conversations these days. Be careful what you say. Be careful. It's like a fire. Verse 7, it's also, it says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Deadly poison. Think about poison. It's deadly. It'll impact your whole body. The tongue impacts your whole body. It changes the course of your whole life. It could damage your reputation. It can destroy relationships. It can make you lose your job. If you're not careful with what you say or with what you write, it's hard to tame. James said, it's amazing because here we can tame big beasts. I I think about the circus and you see people riding elephants or giraffes at the zoo. I I think about Shamu and next month I get to go to SeaWorld. I'm excited. I'm excited to show my kids Shamu. It amazes me every time I go to SeaWorld, you see this little 100-pound woman who's riding Shamu and who can direct Shamu on what to do. She can tell Shamu, you can splash the audience. She can tell Shamu, you can wave to the crowd. She can tell Shamu, you can jump out of water and eat what I feed you. It's amazing to see this 100-pound woman leading this killer whale. We've been able to tame and control ravenous beasts Large animals, but yet James is saying the tongue, this small little thing inside of us, it is so hard to control. It is so hard to control, so be mindful of that. And I like how he described it as evil, the word evil in Greek, kakos, it is seen as it impacts others, it hurts others. He described it as poison, we think about poison being deadly, but the, the Greek word here is ios in Greek, and it actually refers to like shooting an arrow. 
So what that means is the poison that James is referring to is, is that your words can hit people from a distance. It can hit people from a distance. So as you're talking about someone to someone, then that person may go and tell another person. That person goes to tell another person, and all of a sudden it gets to the source, and you're like, uh-oh, who'd you hear that from? Words cut like a knife. They cut like a knife. Something so small can be so hard to manage and control. The third thing that James mentioned here is that something so small can reveal something so big. We know what's in a person's heart by what they say. We know what you're thinking because you're saying it, you're speaking it. Matthew 12, Jesus warned about this. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. This passage is critical for, under, for us to understand. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You will know a lot about a person by what they say. You'll know what they're thinking. You'll know what they're feeling. You'll know a lot about them by the things they say. So again, something so small can reveal something so big. And that's why James says in verse 9, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He's saying you're really double-minded here. You, you have a double standard. You're, you're praising the Lord, but you're being a hypocrite because you're tearing down other people. You're throwing them under the bus. This reminds me of an example of a father who took his family to church, and after church they went and had lunch together. And the father, before lunch, he gives this really good prayer. And he just praises the Lord for the time of fellowship they had at church, seeing other Christian friends. He, he praised the Lord for the message that he heard from, uh, from the pulpit. He, he, he praised the Lord uh, just for a, a beautiful day and a great meal. And then he said, amen. And right after he said amen, he started complaining. He started complaining about the, the service. He started complaining about the food. He started complaining about the preacher. He started complaining about the people in the church. Then he started complaining about his job. And he started complaining about his coworkers. And his little 13-year-old daughter said, Dad, did God hear you when you prayed? He said, yeah, he did. Did God hear you when you were complaining? Uh, yeah, he did. The 13-year-old girl said, Dad, which one did God believe? <laughs> which one did God understand here? Which one is he hearing? Like, who are you, Dad? Out of the same mouth, we curse people and we bless the Lord. It's like we're speaking on both sides of our mouths, right? We got to remember that as we talk about people, that they are made in the image of God, believer or non-believer. They have the divine stamp placed on them. And because of that, we don't need to call curses down on them. That's what the word here means. When we curse them, it's katarothema in, in Greek, and it means to call down curses upon them. It's as if we're praying that the non-Christians stay down and not experience the same grace that we experience whenever we gossip or slander somebody. It's like we want to keep them down. 
And James is saying, may that not be. That's why he said clearly in verse 10, my brothers, this should not be. And notice he said the word, my brothers. He's saying, Christian, you are called to a higher standard. Not just teachers, all believers. Because you have the name of Christ bearing on you. When you say you're a Christian, live like a Christian. And talk like a Christian. Don't throw people under the bus. James 1.19, my dear brothers, once again, he's saying, brothers, my dear brothers, take special note of this. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Take mental note. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible because he's saying, take special note. In other words, put this in your mind, engrave it in your mind. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. James goes on to unpack this point by saying, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What James was getting at is he was saying, a fig tree should produce figs. A grapevine should produce grapes. Grapevines cannot bear figs. He's saying the fruit of a tree must agree with the nature of the tree, the root of the tree. You will determine a lot by a person by the way they live their life. You will know what's really in their heart by the way they conduct themselves. And he's saying you can't have out of the mouth of water on one end of it fresh water and on the other salt. Out of one opening, you're going to have either fresh water or either salt water. So as we open our mouths, it'll either be constructive or destructive. It'll be encouraging or discouraging. So believer in Christ, how do you want to live? Do you want to live like somebody who destroys people? Or do you want to live like somebody who lifts people up? So what's the takeaway in all this? I would just say three quick things. First, never about, always to. Instead of talking about someone, go to them and talk to them about the problem you may have. And that's really hard. That's really hard. And most of my counsel to to us, to myself, go talk to the source. As awkward and as uncomfortable as it's going to be and as hard as it's going to be to talk to the source and tell that person how they hurt you, you got to do it. You got to do it. Never about always to go to the source first. If the person continues to persist in their sin, then bring somebody of leadership in your life. Don't talk to somebody who is of your peer Talk to somebody who can do something about it. So as an employee, don't get mad at another employee and talk bad about that employee. Go to your employer after talking to that person you're mad at. Go to the employer and say, hey, I'm having this issue with this employee that keeps happening. Can you help me? Don't talk to other employees. The second thing is think before you speak. Proverbs 10, 19, he who holds his tongue is wise. If you hold your tongue, it's wise. A lot of things are just better left unsaid. You know, I was at General Assembly last week, and most of the time I just kept my mouth shut. Sometimes I would speak, not in the assembly, but to other people, because a lot of times I would just listen, and some guys just want to, they just like to hear what they, they just like to hear themselves talk. (laughs) It's like, I don't want to be that guy, you know. Um, But again, sometimes it's just better to think before you speak, and then after you hear others talking, then you can speak words of wisdom. And the last thing is speak encouraging words. 
Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. They're, they're healing to the bones. They're sweet to the soul. As you read a lot of leadership books and you know, books on business and leadership, you can find that it takes seven positives to reverse one negative. You've probably heard that before. It takes seven positive statements to reverse one negative statement. Why is that? Because words are so harmful, and you remember the bad a lot of times before you remember the good. So what I would encourage us as a church to do, instead of reflecting on the bad, let's reflect on the good, and let's encourage one another with uplifting words. Because it takes seven times of positive things before it reverses one negative thing. So let's start talking well of one another and keep it up. And let's keep encouraging one another in the faith.